We turn to Luke 24. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 24. Our text is taken from verses 13 through 35, having to do the account of Jesus appearing to the travelers from Emmaus. We won't reread that portion, but we'll read beginning at verse 1 through verse 35. We hear the inspired word of God. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter, and ran unto the sepulcher, And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. And here here follow now the words of our text. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these, that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto them, Him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things 
concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus arose from the dead early on Sunday morning. The angels stood by the tomb and they instructed the women disciples concerning the wonder that had just taken place. The disciples are filled with questions. They're filled with emotions and their emotions are running strong as they've been so sorrowful regarding his death. And now, joy fills their hearts as they consider the reality and wonder of his resurrection. They didn't know how to understand all of this that had transpired and which they had witnessed. Especially that's true of these two people who are leaving Jerusalem late Sunday afternoon. These two individuals, Cleopas and his friend, were on their way to Emmaus, a brief seven-mile trip. We don't know the identity of the other person, but from the extensive account that we have here in Luke 24, there are many who surmise that it must have been Luke because he gives such a careful and explicit explanation of what went on, seemingly having a first-hand knowledge of the conversation. But these two individuals are leaving the city filled with amazement, filled with fear, filled with confusion as to what all has transpired. What a week, and especially what a day it had been. This morning we listen to those travelers. We hear their conversation. Many rumors had been swirling. They could not understand the darkness of the cross. But we also listen to the message of the risen Savior. And with them we hear the necessity of the cross. We hear the wonder of the death of Jesus Christ as that which was necessary for our salvation. And with joy, we are filled with that wonder of the gospel of our risen Savior. We know the necessity of that death as we've examined ourselves and we've come to see the horror and the reality of our sinfulness. We cling to Him as the only sacrifice necessary for communion and fellowship with the living God. We look at this passage under the theme, Jesus' appearance to the Emmaus travelers. Noting the troubled travelers, the powerful preaching, and the astounding result. In verse 14 we read, And they talked together of all these things which had happened. What a perplexing Passover feast this had been for so many who were in Jerusalem. 
They loved Jesus. They had been coming to the Passover for years. Jesus had accompanied, often doing miracles, performing wonders. They had loved hearing Him and seeing His wonders. They believed beyond any shadow of doubt He was the promised Messiah of whom the Old Testament had spoken and that He was the one coming to deliver and to redeem Israel. But now, rather than being able to sit at His feet at this last Passover feast, they stood before His cross. Perplexed they were. They heard how He had admonished Peter for trying to come to His defense when he was being arrested. They saw him turn the other cheek and refuse to defend himself from the false accusations that were being brought against him. And they couldn't understand it. Why hadn't he stood up to them? Why hadn't he defended himself? And then there was the confusing events that had taken place that morning. They heard the message of the women And they hardly dared to believe that their Lord was really alive. Then they saw the empty tomb. They heard the words of the angel. And they remembered some of the words that Jesus had spoken concerning the significance of the third day. But they couldn't put it all together. But at the heart of the whole of their perplexation and the conversation that takes place here is this. Why did Jesus have to die? That was the perplexing question that swirled in their minds. Jesus was indeed the Christ. He was the Son of the living God. He had come from God to redeem His children, His people Israel. He was a prophet of God. He was mighty in word and deed. They knew all of that. What He said was always based on Scripture. No one could contradict Him. They knew that even nature obeyed Him. He had performed wonders, stilled the storm, calmed the raging seas. Imagine what great things he would have been able to accomplish had he stayed alive. And now he had been killed by the chief priests and by the leaders. The hope of Israel was dead. And he was killed by the church of their day, of all things. Killed out of time, nearly 33 years old died the horrible death of crucifixion. And he was not even merely finally condemned by Pilate, but the rulers of the Jews had risen up against him. And they were supposed to be held in high regard by the Jews. If he was innocent, why did the rulers condemn him? If he was the Christ, why did he tolerate it? Why did he put up with that opposition as it rose up against him? Their hearts were heavy. They stayed in Jerusalem as long as they could, but then it was time for them to get back to home, to Emmaus. And finally, they're on their way. Suddenly, Jesus joins them, according to verse 15. But Jesus hides himself from them so that he approaches them from the perspective of a stranger, asking them to help with their problem. And wisely, he puts a question to them, encouraging them to voice their problem to him. What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Verse 17. What are you talking about here? Why are your hearts so heavy? 
And the response then of Cleopas is one of impatient rebuke. Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And Jesus' response again, very simply, is, What things? That brief question opens up the raw emotions and the questions that these men had. A volley of words flow out of these troubled, burdened hearts, showing those concerns that they had. And Jesus listens. We learn something here. Listen to those with concerns. When we have concerns, look up someone. A good Christian friend to whom we can talk. To whom we can express our concerns. A friend who will direct us in wisdom to the Word of God. And while men and women may not have all the answers, they seek to bring the power of the Word to bear on the burdens and the challenges that we ourselves face. But it's important that we understand clearly what the concern of these travelers was. The cross. That's their problem. The cross. Why did Jesus have to die? He was the Christ. Why would the Christ have to die? They didn't want anything to do with the horror of death and the cross and Calvary. Now we understand, through the ages, there have always been those who stumbled over the cross. They want nothing to do with a spiritual Savior. They reject the blood of the atonement. They stumble over Christ as a rock of stumbling, a stone of offense. And such try to resurrect a Christ of their own making, a Christ of their own imagination, a Christ who merely was interested in certain principles and lived for certain things and pursued certain things, making out of it a social gospel that has nothing to do with atonement, nothing to do with the cross, nothing to do with reconciliation for sin. These men and women want an earthly Savior. They want one who rescues them from earthly troubles. And they blaspheme then the Christ and the Father who sent Him. Now these travelers are not to be placed in that category. And how do we understand the difference between these travelers? They simply did not understand the cross. They weren't blaspheming it. They weren't speaking evil of it. They were struggling to understand why did He have to die? If Christ was the Redeemer of Israel, why? Why the cross? Of what significance is the mystery then of the resurrection? Jesus, in His love and tender mercy, comes to these men in their need. And we see here the love of Jesus Christ for His own. We see the marvelous nature and character of that love. God comes to His children where they're at, in their struggles and in their situations. He came to Mary, precisely where Mary was at, in her grief, to deliver her from that grief. He came to Thomas in a very different way, because Thomas needed to hear the wonder of the Gospel. He came to Peter, and he restored Peter in even a different way yet. We see the love and the tenderness that Jesus has for His own. And now Jesus draws near to these travelers because of their sorrow. Because as a true lovers of God and of His church, these men needed to be instructed. They needed to be taught. 
they weren't interested in maintaining their false understanding concerning the cross. That's the way of the wicked. They're set on their own sin, their own wickedness. They don't want to be taught or instructed. They were burdened, burdened with the truth concerning the Christ. And by the mercy of God, as those who already evidently had been given hearts that were regenerated, hearts that were able to understand and to know God through Jesus Christ, Jesus now lovingly rebukes their unbelief and proceeds then to speak the truth to them in love. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? We read verse 26. In verse 25, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You're not listening to all of the prophets. You're just listening to some. You're just picking and choosing what you want to understand, what you want to believe. They knew Christ's words concerning His suffering and His death. They knew about Jesus' instruction regarding the third day. And Jesus now comes with a powerful sermon. Though there's a sharp rebuke, it was also a remark that must have caused hope to spring in their hearts. The answer. This man has the answer. He claims that he knows the reason. He's able to explain it to us. And so with attentive hearts, they now listen to what Jesus has to say to them. And Jesus puts his finger right on the issue. The heart of the problem. He picks up the very piece of the puzzle that they're having a hard time understanding. How does this fit? How do we understand this? And he proceeds to demonstrate to them how this piece fits perfectly in with the teaching of the Messiah and the wonder of the purpose of the coming of the Messiah. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things? The theme of his sermon is the divine necessity of the cross. And beloved, that's the wonder before which we stand this morning. The divine necessity of the cross. And having examined ourselves, God by faith has worked in us the knowledge of that divine necessity. Why did Jesus have to die? For me. For my sin. In my place, as my substitute. The text that he uses for the sermon is the whole of the Old Testament Scriptures. And he shows from the Old Testament Scriptures with which they were familiar, the divine necessity of the cross. Beginning at Moses, we read, and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 27. Beloved, what a sermon. It's too bad we don't have it recorded for us. What a sermon that had to have been. Beginning at Moses, starting with Genesis, teaching them the necessity of the promise that God had given of the seed of the woman, the Christ, whose heel would be bruised as it came down in the head of Satan. Teaching them the wonder of the innocent blood that had flowed through the Old Testament, that had been killed 
that had never atoned for a single sin, but had pointed to the blood of the Lamb who would come. Expounding Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant and the necessity of his suffering. Explaining to them the Christ as he's found in the Psalms and Psalm 22. Demonstrating how Psalm 22 contains the very words that Jesus just spoke on Calvary a few days previous. He taught them the seriousness and the horror of sin and the wonder of the gospel. The wonder of salvation possible only through the blood of the Lamb. That glorious theme of the cross is the thread that runs through the whole of the Old Testament. And that's the beautiful truth here that Jesus sets before them. From the whole of the Old Testament, He demonstrates the necessity of the cross. That truth is nothing new. It's that which ties the whole of the Scriptures together. Christ is present. And not just Christ in the Old Testament, Christ crucified is present throughout the whole of the Old Testament and risen again for our justification. He preached the Word. This wasn't an appeal merely to their emotions. It wasn't a sermon just on a jumble of different passages. This was exposition of Holy Scripture that had the cross at the very center of that exposition. It was the power of God unto salvation. It was the power of God to bring these children of His own into the joy and the wonder of their salvation. This was the preaching that laid bare Scripture, laid bare God's Word concerning the Christ. Christ must suffer He must enter into glory. God's sovereign counsel required this. Your and my sins demanded it. So that the cross is not a mistake. The Christ is not a victim of evil circumstances. This is the wonder and the marvel of our salvation. A price had to be paid for the redemption of God's children. And the price that God demanded was death. And Christ came in order to accomplish that wonder. The curse of death could only be carried by one who was very God and very man. And now, that wonder is realized here before the people. The covenant fellowship of God demanded the cross. The glory of the covenant could only be realized through the terror, the horror of Calvary. And once that price of redemption is is paid, the only thing left then is glory. Death swallowed up in victory. The grave clothed with immortality. So that the glory of Jesus Christ is on full display now through the fact that he did not remain in the grave, but he rose again for our justification. That's Romans 4, verse 25. He was raised again for our justification that we might be declared righteous before God. So Jesus is both the subject and the object of this sermon. He preached himself 
as the Christ. And with what clarity of thought Jesus gave and taught the necessity of Calvary. Again, we don't have the words of the sermon, but we have the text. The whole of the New Testament is God's message concerning the necessity of the cross. But also the necessity of the resurrection. The necessity of the ascension. The necessity of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the necessity of His coming again in glory. We have Christ still speaking to us through the exposition of Scripture. And He speaks to us personally. He comes to us in our need. He brings to us His Word accompanied by His Spirit within us. And He teaches us and impresses upon us the necessity of His death and the wonder of His resurrection. He works faith in our hearts by which we lay hold on that wonder. We believe in it. And we know this one is my Savior. He is my Lord. The astounding result of this, in verse 29, but they constrained Him saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And we read He went in to tarry with them. Soon they were in Emmaus, and the stranger continued as though He's going to go further. They constrain Him. It's become history and the words of a hymn. Abide with us, fast falls the eventide. The day, O stranger, is far spent. Abide with us. They learned to love this stranger. They loved everything that he had made clear to them. And they now understood the cross. They understood the necessity of his sacrifice. The morning light has begun to dawn, but they still don't know who precisely he is. And so Jesus goes in and he tarries with them at a hastily prepared meal. And when he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, their eyes are open. This is the Messiah. This is none other than Jesus Himself. They see Him. The Lord is risen indeed. And it's He who has just revealed to them the wonder of their salvation. They've just experienced the fulfillment of that passage where one or two are gathered in My name, There I am in the midst of them. And their eyes are open. And they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. We read in verse 31. But notice, they're not filled with despair. They're not filled with sorrow as a result of the fact that he's left them so quickly. Nothing could take from them the image of that Christ. An image that was not primarily physical, but an image that was based on the words that they had heard. It was those words that they had received. That was the image that was theirs now through the power of the preaching of His Word. They knew the Christ. And no one could ever take that knowledge from them. A new light now floods their hearts and their souls. The confusion of the feast day is now gone. The recent trip is placed all now in biblical perspective. And now they're able to understand. And they're not able to understand merely for others, for them personally. The way to glory is through the cross. 
Such was true not only of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, but such is true also for all his children. And they said one to another, we read in verses 32 to 35, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and told them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in the breaking of the bread. Beloved, as we gather this morning, the question that we face is this. Have you heard that sermon? Have you heard that glorious message proclaimed to your heart? A message that thrills your heart. That stirs you beyond measure. I know and I believe in the midst of my unworthiness and my sinfulness. I have a Savior. And He came for me. He came to lay down His life for me. So that I know why Jesus had to die. I believe that His death was necessary. And that His death was for the forgiveness of my sin. That His death was necessary to bring me to the joy of communion and fellowship with Him. A fellowship and a communion that knows no end. That is everlasting. Beloved, do you hear the word of Christ teaching you the necessity of the cross for your glory, for your salvation? And beloved, hearing that, Does your heart burn within you? Is that not the response that God works within us? The word of the gospel does not leave us cold. It doesn't leave us lifeless. It's not just the words of Jesus, but it's the power of His Spirit in their hearts that caused them to burn and to know that blessed, that glorious hope. And beloved, that message of the gospel is inspiring causing our hearts to burn within us. We love Him. We delight in Him. We desire to follow where He leads. We desire to magnify His name in everything we do and in everything that we say. That which governs our lives is thankfulness and praise to Him, our Lord and our Savior. He was raised for our justification that we might live eternally. Our sins have been carried away, never to be placed and held against us. As severe and serious as they are, cast away, forgiven, paid for. Not to be used ever by God, not ever to be used by our fellow saints. Beloved, then we understand the joy of the resurrection. We understand the wonder that He accomplished the purpose of, For which he came. He attained to what God had demanded and required. The purpose of the Messiah laid out from Genesis all the way through the scriptures. Now fully revealed in all of its glory. For the salvation of his church and for the glory of his name. We come to the Lord's Supper, beloved, with unspeakable joy. Our hearts moved within us to a thrill that cannot be 
explained or contained. Not what these two did that same night. After a long, weary day, they were filled with renewed energy. They eagerly run back to Jerusalem in order to share with their fellow brethren the wonders of that joy that lives within their hearts. And beloved, that's you and that's me. We cannot keep silent concerning the wonder of the love of God in Jesus Christ. The burden has been lifted. We have been given to know the joy of freedom and liberty that is ours in Jesus Christ. We've heard the sermon. We know the necessity of His death for us, for me personally. And beloved, by faith, we eat and drink. Amen. Our Father in heaven, strengthen our faith. Cause that we might know the thrill and the wonder of that perfect sacrifice on our behalf, and knowing the necessity of that death for me, might ever live in thankful praise unto Thee, the God of our salvation. Amen.